0: We wanted to put a blockchain in production with actual assets on, not just with crypto, but with financial assets like loans. And so we know the lending business really well. And so what we ended up doing is is we built a lending business. And in part, it was to exercise the blockchain and really de-risk the platform that we were building and kind of show the world, look, it actually does work.
1: I know nothing about decentralized finance and how it's revolutionizing uh, the financial services industry as we know it to be i know everything i need to know about how loans are originated uh, and how they are securitized and uh, taken off the books of traditional lenders but today uh, more of those loans are being uh, put on a blockchain tokenized and traded openly um, in uh, the marketplace Uh, and I'm very happy to be able to speak to Jun Oh of Figure Technology uh, figure, figure Technologies uh, who's going to explain to me how it all works. I'm very happy to speak with you uh, Jun Oh um, and I know you as the co-founder of Figure Technology right uh, that uh, you know that launched uh, Providence Blockchain Foundation. Um, so thank you for speaking with me today. Um, just give me a sense of what is Providence Um uh, and uh, you know the organization that you um, started with, um, because when I first came across uh, the, the idea that you you are a blockchain um, uh, company or organization um, that that and then you did permission-based systems, I I I figured that you are a vendor to users, but you're not. You are a blockchain in your own iteration, and you have a token called. Hash right. Okay. So now, ca- could can you go through with us um, very briefly what is Provenance and you know and how it's organized?
0: So Provenance blockchain is a sovereign blockchain. It uses the Tendermint consensus engine, and it also makes use of um, the Cosmos SDK. We built it as a platform to help financial institutions um, transact, um, reducing costs um, and. Uh, and time for any of the, any of the transactions that they might want to execute.
1: Just a little bit of history. When was the organization started? Who owns it, um, and how is it organized? We,
0: we started in 2018, January of 2018 as Figure Technologies. And we started figure um, sort of diving pretty deep into blockchain, wanting to build a platform like, like Providence. On the blockchain because we, um, uh, many of the people in the beginning of the company are familiar with lending and understand the the challenges of um, execution of of lending from a sales perspective, warehousing and securitization, um, and really felt that blockchain would be uh, a solution to some of these um, efficiencies from a cost and time perspective. So when we start to think about what that might look like, we then went to some of the larger organizations in New York and tried to see if they would work with us on building this. Now, they all thought it was a very interesting um, concept, but they weren't ready for it. Um, They said, look, we're we're not ready for it. Work with you on a proof of concept. And the thing about us and the, the team here is we like to put things into production because that's the only way you know that it works or or it doesn't. And If it doesn't, then you then you fix it. But um, we wanted to um, put a blockchain in production with actual assets on, not just with crypto, but with financial assets like loans. And so we know the lending business really well. And so what we ended up doing is is we built a lending business, and in part it was to. Exercise the blockchain and really de-risk the platform that we were building, and kind of show the world: look, it actually does work. So that that's sort of the genesis of the of using blockchain technology with Figure. Te- uh, figure, um, we I, I think maybe half within a half year, we decided that the name of the blockchain would be Provenance, and so we've used Provenance as the the name of the blockchain for a while and it, it probably didn't catch your attention until we went public um, because we changed the way that we built it. Um, in fact, we completely rebuilt it. So in the beginning, there weren't a lot of protocols that made a lot of sense because ultimately we're building an enterprise software system on top of blockchain, which n- nobody's really tried because it's hard. And so with all of the blockchain protocols out there, majority of them are really focused on crypto. So the one that we thought would make sense was Hyperledger Fabric. So we used Hyperledger Fabric in our initial production system um, and we boarded loans starting in July of 2018 and then we started to sell loans probably October, November of 18, and we in 19, we had warehouses, and so we started to bring on buyers of the loans, whole loan buyers. And the larger institutions said, Look, we want to buy your loan, we, they wanted our assets, but they didn't want to buy them off blockchain. So they said, Look, if you will sell them to me off blockchain, it's 100%, we're there. If it's on blockchain, it's, <clears throat> it's 50%, and we have to go through all the compliance, you know, we have to go through other departments. And so for us, it was really kind of a calculated risk. Where if we let them buy our assets off blockchain, they would never buy on blockchain, or it would just take a long time for them to to turn around. So, we went to smaller institutions who were who were like, yeah, sure, no problem, and they saw the system that we had. And and the system, when you look at it, is you know there's there's an application sitting on top of the blockchain, and that's what you look at. So if you're looking at a loan, you can see all the data. You can see all the documents, you can see the validation we put in place. And um, that actually made them very excited because that's normally not what you would see when you buy a pool of loans. What you would see is just a loan tape with a set of loans. The documents themselves, you know, the auditor would look at them or um, trustee, somebody else would look at them from a compliance perspective. But the buyer, the, the capital markets team, for example, wouldn't necessarily see those documents. And so for them to see it all in one place, they could download a tape if they wanted to, that really appealed to them. And so we ended up you know, with a number of buyers and then people started to feel more comfortable with what we were doing. And we've ended up with a significant number of buyers on, on, from an institutional perspective of our, of our assets. Um, so we started warehousing and then uh, in early 2020, we, had, we um, executed our first securitization and there's been two subsequent from there.
1: So do you have a balance sheet? Do you, uh, you know, When you originated your loan, do you take it on your own balance sheet and then you uh, securitized it? So you're actually in the lending business yourself. Uh, Correct. And how did you fund that part of the business? Yeah. Um, yeah, so,
0: so we are a lender. Um, we, we are a um, state-licensed lender. Um, we do fund off the balance sheet. Um, there's many times, though, that the warehouse comes into play. And so we'll set up a structure where, you know, as the loans come in, the warehouse funds it pretty quickly after the loan is, is originated, maybe two days after it's originated. And so that helps us um, such that we don't have to have a, you know, a bloated balance sheet for the lending part. So there's, there's a bit of, you know, finesse in making sure we have the right um, vehicles in place so that we you, we have the capital that we need for the funding aspect of the business,
1: and and you have other functionalities on your on your platform. You have a marketplace, you have payments, um, you know, uh, and and something called instant traceability. Adnals, AdNals what's that?
0: So that um, in and of itself is a cap table management system. And the reason that we we built that was really not necessarily, you know, to compete in the cap table management world, but really because we, we felt that this could be um, uh, uh, an exchange, right, it can be a marketplace slash exchange. And so if you have a private company that allows their uh, employees to sell assets in a secondary, for example, you know, instead of having a set secondary with a set price, you can actually have, um, Uh, an exchange. So we have a broker dealer license with an ATS exemption, which allows us to run uh, an ATS, which is an alternative uh, alternative trading system. So it's not an exchange per se, because you need a different license for an exchange. So uh, it's an ATS for digital securities. In our case, because we have that broker dealer with an ATS exemption, we are allowed to trade figure securities. Figure stock, which are securities, on our exchange, um, if we wanted to, and which we do, and, and we are actually gearing up to do that. Um, hopefully, in the next
1: month or so. Just run me through: How do you actually originate a loan? Um, you know, do your customers come online? Um, do they, you know, buy a token from you? Uh, how, how does that work? And and how does hash the utility token that you have? How how does that work into um, your interaction with customers.
0: So the the application for a loan is is you know it, it's a, it's a it's a regular digital application, right? So you log on to a website and you fill in the application. Um, and then on the back side there's uh, customer service reps who then may, may need to process it. For most of our loans, we try to automate as much as possible. We can't automate 100% things like mortgages for a lot of different reasons, but for our HELOC product and our personal loan, which is an unsecured product, we automate probably 99% of it. Um, so all of that is, you know, it's just, a, it's just a, an online application. Um, when the application is complete, which means everything has been approved, um, we've done all of our underwriting um, checks, it's boarded onto the blockchain. But um, the way that we built the, the public blockchain is we have, um, we have a contract execution environment that you have live in your um, world. And that's where you hold the private information, for example, right? So each borrower, you have their name and their address and their um, in the U.S., you have your social security number and date of birth, and that's all private, right? You don't want that to be in the public arena, and so we hold that in the contract execution environment. We encrypt it and then we hash it. You know, hence the term hash. And that hash is now on the blockchain. It gets it loaded onto the blockchain. Um, so now you have a representation of that loan. It's in its entirety. That happens before the loan is funded. Um, the the system um, will then inform uh, the blockchain with a, a, a smart contract to fund the loan. Now, and this is where um, a marker comes into play. We we call it stablecoin, but I know that p- some people get confused as to what stablecoin is and some of the risk behind it. But um, our version of the stablecoin truly is, you know, there to um, to um, memorialize the fact that the funding has truly happened. Right? So what we do as the originators, we would put money into an account or that account just lives there as our funding account. And the blockchain can see that there is the right amount for funding creates the stable coin to show that we've created it, it was ours. We move it into the loan account, right? And then that, that marker gets released Um, into fiat currency that then gets um, transferred to the borrower and now the loan is funded, right? So we know with absolute certainty because we're tracking the money movement that that loan has been funded. Once that's complete, then the loan goes into servicing. It moves into a servicing system, which we have. um, And then every payment that comes in happens um, similarly where there's a stable coin that moralized the fact that the borrower is actually have paid and they've paid on time. So you can see in the system in real time what your portfolio looks like in any given day at any given time because um, because it's there because as the payments come in, we, we mark it, the blockchain marks it. Um, so when COVID happened, a lot of our buyers actually really thought it was interesting to view their portfolios on the system because they can see you know, it's a little bit of a forecast, you know, normally you would get a report on a monthly basis and you wouldn't know until that next month that maybe 20% of your portfolio has defaulted on that payment for that month. So that's some of the things that we sort of work towards. We want this system to be real-time settlement and real-time transparency so that, you know, you can manage your business um, much more efficiently. You can put your money to work much more quickly, all those types of things that I think that the financial institutions sort
1: of grapple with. You use the word stablecoin and, and, and then, you know, hash, uh, digital token or utility token. Is there a valuation, um, you know, associated with that on the lending side? Uh, uh, or if, uh, in terms of securitization, uh, do they buy the token or do they buy the uh, information on the asset?
0: Okay, so there's two different things. The stable coin is a, is, a, is a coin, a token, if you will, that sort of helps us um, memorialize any money movement that happens in a tr- financial transaction. Hash, on the other hand, is the okay. utility token that is used to pay for gas for any a transaction that is executed on the blockchain. So if you want to transact on the Providence blockchain, you will need some hash to pay for the gas that it takes to um, complete your transaction.
1: So that's a, that's a source of income for you.
0: So, so no, so we have a validator network and that validator ne- network stakes um, hash to be a validator. I mean, then this is sort of a typical validator network proof of stake um, process where the validator will get um, a reward for participating in any transaction that's complete. And if you're the proposer, you get an extra reward um, to be that proposer. But the way to increase your hash stock is to be a delegator um, into the validator network or to be a validator yourself um, to then earn rewards within the system based on the transactions that are happening.
1: Uh, The validators are participants in the lending or are they owners of uh, the you know the, the stable coin i you, you know i'm i'm ignoring i'm 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 not exactly in this industry so i need to be clear about what you know how it works
0: so um a public blockchain is public because there's no central authority right so if you think about a financial institute or anybody you think about any institution out there when they run their systems they have a database Right. So for like a normal lending company when they lend, they're originating loans and they're originating loans and they're holding all of their data and their documents in a database. Right. So if you're buying loans from that from that originator, you need to get the data and the documents from them, right? Yeah. In a public blockchain, you um you, you're still an originator and you're still holding data, but now you're putting the data on the public blockchain. Right. Right. And when you put the data on the public blockchain, you now have validators. Now, the validators are nodes that are um, that are uh, participants in the ecosystem. And so they've said, OK, I believe in this blockchain. I'm going to spin up a validator, which is, you know, a a term to you. You you start up a server. and that server is a validator on the network. And then in order to participate, you have to stake hash or, or delegate to yourself hash. And then while you're there, other people can delegate hash to you and you can decide to pay commission to those delegators um, because they help you become more active in the validator network based on the number of hash that you have as a validator, right? The more hash you have, is proportional from a round robin perspective. If you have, um, you know, five percent more than the rest, then you'll be you'll be a proposer five percent more more times in the in the grand scheme of the transactions. So the the information sitting on the blockchain is governed by the validators, who you know, and, and some of it. I mean, it, some of it isn't. Um, business logic per se, it's sort of, you know, figure wants to onboard a loan. Here's how much it costs from a gas perspective. The validator says, okay, I'm willing to propose this transaction. So they propose it to the remaining of the validator network, who then say, yeah, you know, we'll do this. The gas has been paid. Let's complete the transaction. And now our loan is boarded on onto blockchain. So if you think about Ethereum, cause you know, that's one of the big ones out there. Ethereum at the moment is not proof of stake. It's very expensive and it's very slow. So they also have a concept of gas. They also have a concept of a validator network. And so when you try to transact on Ethereum, A, it will take a long time, but not as long as Bitcoin. B, um, um, There's more transactions happening on Ethereum because it's been out there and lots of people have been glomming onto it. And so you can actually earn quite a bit of ETH on Ethereum if you are um, participating in that particular network. So if you own some, you can actually stake it to other um, validators to earn more.
1: I'm I'm trying to construct this from what you're saying. So, so the validator is like a um, you know an owner of a of a of a crypto, right? Uh, uh, and and by participating, he's rewarded uh, with a value around the hash that he owns, right? Um, um, what is the size of your validator network? Um, uh, and how is the community growing? You know, how much have you raised on, 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 the, on the validator network? Hash. So,
0: so when we had our, our initial incarnation of the blockchain, we had about 12 validators, because that's really all we needed. And those validators were all financial institutions. So they were all like Franklin Templeton, some, some well-known um, financial institutions. When we switched to the public um, blockchain, we went and we talked to them. We said, listen, um, we are gonna shut down the old blockchain, which means your nodes are gonna be shut down because we were actually helping them manage that because they all don't have many, They don't. many of them don't have technical departments that can do that. We would like you to be a validator on the new network. Um, it's a brand new blockchain that is um, public. What we said to them was, look, you don't have to, there, there's no obligation. However, if you would like to earn rewards, right, earn more hash, then this is the way to do it, right? Either either you stand up a validator or you delegate your hash to um, a, an existing validator. So we launched our public blockchain in June. And so, you know, we don't have a ton of validators on. We would like a minimum of 20. Um, we have a few institutions like, uh, a few companies like um, Bison Trails and state and uh, Block Daemon who have offered their services for the financial institutions who don't have the technical capability to stand this up for them to, you know, contract out to Bison trails to um, run the validator tech for them. So we have state and and bison trails on right now. And so um, we're continuing to talk to many people about being a validator, a validator and Um, They're all very interested, but I think that they all have an education process that they're going through because many of them are not in uh, the blockchain world or the crypto world. And so they're trying to understand what we did and and why it is that it's different, why the the problems platform is different from the other systems out there. Um, But we have many people who are interested and it's just a matter of them spinning up the whole system. To
1: get going. Uh, Here's the important question for, for someone who is from the financial services, um, you know, the, the traditional players. Uh, what were their uh, initial reactions? What were their concerns um, to support, um, you know, your validator um, going public? Um, you know, given that financial institutions generally would like to keep it within a known network, uh, you know, a a permission-based system. And how do you see this taking off? Because you're actually moving from institution to public. So what were their initial concerns and and that whole transition to permission? Um, You know, um, what is the motivation also? Because, um, you know, uh, once you go public, um, the, the value a scribe eventually, you know, will be a little bit out of your control. I mean, I, I mean, I get this impression that it will not be in your control. If I'm a banker, what, what, what would my concerns be?
0: Initial conversations with sort of new context within a particular institution is you have to do a little bit of the education of what a blockchain is. In terms of the public aspect of it, they have a lot of questions about security as they would for any other system that they, they might be contemplating. So there's initial, okay, so have you done a security audit? <clears throat> and we have, we've gone, we've had um, uh, multiple uh, penetration tests. We've had code reviews. We've had um, many security audits on the system because we knew that people would be concerned about that. Um, they also wanna know, you know, is there private information that shouldn't be public on the system? And what, what I say to them is, look, that is up to you. You can decide what is public and what isn't because of the, the, the system that we've built on top, right? The system we've built on top is the, I, I mentioned earlier, there's a contract execution environment called PAD, which is um, a piece of software that will live in your world. So if there's some data you do not want to be put on blockchain, um, you hold it there, you encrypt it, and you hash it, and you can put it on the blockchain. Now, transactions that happen on the blockchain will be public. Um, it doesn't mean that they can identify who you are, but there is an identifier. So, you know, if someone's sort of trolling the blockchain and kind of just watching, you know, and kind of understands what some transactions are happening, they may be like, oh, well, this ID could be, you know, Morgan Stanley, right? Because they understand that they are an active user on the system and they understand that, that you know, so they might, they might be speculating, you know, that's a large institution because there's a large set of transactions happening there. And we know that they just did a securitization. Um, so there's things that you can do to, to, um, to be less conspicuous if you need it to be that way. Um, but I think at some point, there'll be multiple people on, mul- many, many institutions on that it doesn't really matter. And so you don't have to go through those links um, to figure out who's doing what.
1: How much technology does a validator need in order to participate? Like you know, and especially in a permissionless um, um, you know architecture, um, you know, do they need to be active uh, participants? Um, You know, is that something that you can do passively? Uh, And when you when you participate in a proof of stake, um, you know, do you have to go look for you know look for other participants to? help you complete the transaction, something like that. I mean, what does the what does the validator need to do on, on his side?
0: Oh, the validator doesn't really need to do anything once they have their technology up and running. They can set certain um, configurations of what they want um, to agree to or not on the system. Meaning, you know, maybe they're, maybe their threshold for payment of fees is a little bit higher. They can set that if they want. They can set them lower, and so they accept lower fees. Um, they also participate in the governance of the blockchain, so there's voting aspects. But they are they are probably um, alerted to those to those um, uh, proposals that come up. But in general, once you stand up the system, all it is really is maintenance and making sure that it it's up um, 24 hours a day.
1: I've come across um, other systems like. Anchor. There's a protocol where um, you know, it becomes an investment um, you know, token where the public can, can participate in, in the lending and, the, and also in, this, in, in the investing in the lending. In other words, it's very peer-to-peer. Um, you know, is, your, is your platform heading in that direction to become eventually peer-to-peer or uh, is it still a originate uh, and then securitized type of a model?
0: No, the system is very flexible. It can be it can be used for peer to peer as well as um, as business to business or business to consumer. Um, we have a pay product that is um, you no know, merchant to consumer. It can be a peer to peer in terms of you can send money to your friend or your family. Um, so there is there is a, a consumer aspect of this, a um, uh, consumer to consumer aspect. Um, there is really no limit, I don't think, to any application that anyone might want to run on our, our platform. What, what we've done, however, is we've, I mean, we've built an enterprise system on top of the blockchain so that you can transact you know, lending or if you wanted to um, board a loan onto the system, not a loan, a fund onto the system, and you wanted to sell subscriptions to that fund, um, into the marketplace, so that sort of that sort of um, uh, explains a little bit of our marketplace. Um, because if you wanted to um, appeal to a large audience for a particular fund, um, you can um, place that fund on the on the our marketplace. It's on the blockchain, um, and. Advertise for uh, subscriptions like based on the regulatory requirements of the investors. Um, we also have a passport product, which, from a US regulatory perspective, will do the KYC AML BSA and uh, we will also have um, an accredited piece of it where we'll look for your assets and your liabilities and determine whether you are truly accredited. We have the attestation piece. So there's, so there's, um, different degrees of the passport that we might need to use for any particular fund that wants to put their uh, fund on the blockchain to sell pieces of it. So in in speaking about a token, I like, guess, you know, the fund would sit as um, a token and then you could split that token up into as many, you know, fun, infinite parts as you want to
1: sell. I'm getting stuck at the point of token because the moment it's a token, it becomes, in my mind, it's, a, it's an asset that can be, um, you know, that, that can be traded, uh, you know, um, between people who have nothing to do with you, uh, you know, that they can actually buy the token and, and, and trade it.
0: So a, a lot of the blockchains out there talk about tokens and trading tokens and that type of thing. And you can do that. That's super easy to do. You just create a token and you go trade it. What, what we have on our platform is we actually have financial assets that hold value. Right. So each of our loans, you can think about each of our loans as an NFT, but but our NFT truly has value on the system. Right. When you're trading that NFT, you are trading the value of that asset, whereas there's other blockchains that will tokenize. But the asset itself is still offline. Right. It's still not truly on the blockchain. For us, the loans that we are holding on our blockchain that we haven't sold and taken off the blockchain, because we do that sometimes, um, if you try to trade that offline, it's invalid. Right, It's an invalid transaction because the system of record for the loans that we hold on the system, that are serviced on the system, traded and securitized, um, have to be traded on our system or at least have to be, our system has to be notified that, that, that token has traded somewhere else. Right. So that that's the difference in, in what we've built versus what some of these other blockchains have built is, you know, and, and, and the evolution of what we've done is because it's very difficult to do. It's not an easy system to build. Um, and it's not an. I mean, it's just not easy because it's an enterprise system. Doesn't happen okay.
1: overnight. Now that you're using the NFT analogy, um, when your token has a value uh, that is determined by the market, um, is that a, a validation in itself? Um, and um, and you know, can it take a life of its own? Um, you know, where it's traded. Um, you know, I know that in, in your case, the token carries the uh, the transaction, the, the database, the, the data of the, of the trans- transaction. You're saying also that it has to be traded on your system. So therefore, it's somewhat permissioned.
0: Well, it, I'm not saying it has to be traded on our system, but our system has to be aware that that transaction has happened. Right. So part okay. of the reason that we chose the Tendermint Cosmos um, sort of infrastructure is that they are very much um, advocating and focused on the IBC, which is the inner blockchain. And that just means that blockchains can talk to each other. Right. And so we are very Mm -hmm. much of the mind that there will be multiple blockchains out there. And so, you know, the scenario of here's a pool of loans that we've sold to another institution. They want to sell that pool of loans to someone else, but that someone else is on a different blockchain. Now, this is kind of, high in the sky like it hasn't happened and it's a little bit theoretical but they could theoretically have a representation of that that loan pool on a different blockchain that then trades over there but we are aware of it it's sort of the same analogy of a wrapped bitcoin trading on ethereum right so you've wrapped bitcoin so that you could trade it on ethereum platform but under the underlying asset is still Bitcoin and, and any trading of that needs to ultimately go back to the Bitcoin chain, right? So Bitcoin knows about anything that happens on the Ethereum world because it's wrapped and it, and it ultimately goes back to Bitcoin. So it could, I mean, something like that could, could happen where um, there's a pool of loans or there's a bond and that bond gets sold on another blockchain. But we should know about it because ultimately that asset lives on the provenance blockchain. So it, it yeah. doesn't mean that we are we need to be a permissioned and closed system. It just means that we have to have connectivity with another um, blockchain.
1: And uh, um, just coming back to the origination, why would a customer take a loan? Do they get a loan from figure technologies or from the provenance blockchain? Uh, I mean, like, so, which entity so, do they borrow from? Yeah,
0: yeah. So technically, they borrow from figure lending, which is the okay. entity that holds our entity, lending that's licenses.
1: License.
0: That's okay. the licensed entity. Yeah. So, the, so so, figure lending is the originator. And figure lending Understand. makes use of the Provenance blockchain.
1: What is the, um, the, the key selling feature of figure lending? Uh, is it the price of the loan? Is it the convenience? Is that... Um, you know uh, yeah. why why figure and not someone else here?
0: Well that now you're kind of going into the normal um, competition with other vendors the out there. Yeah yeah I mean yeah. With, yeah. with our helog product it's a slightly different product than the traditional HELOC where um, you you get the entire distribution once the loan closes, because a regular HELOC is a line of credit really where you are approved. And if you don't need the money right away, you don't have to pull it down. For us, we do distribute the entire thing. And then as you pay it down, you can then borrow back um, the full amount. So it's sort of a, it's a little bit of a, a hybrid model for the HELOC. And it's, it's a better product than a personal loan for a homeowner, because the personal loan products um, cost more um, the HELOC is definitely more cost effective, especially if you have quite a bit of equity in your home, right? If you have a lot of equity in your home, you should take the HELOC out and go use that money for something else because you might as well leverage the home that you're
1: in. Give me a sense of where this technology is leading the industry. You know, eventually, how do you see it playing out? And uh, and you know, and and this whole on the token side. Um, you know, will it take a life of its own? Um, you know, it becomes an industry in itself. Uh, and then on the loan origination side, that's you know that's traditional lending and securitization. Uh, that's the clear part, right? It's simple. Um, but um, where where do you where do you see it evolving uh, as it goes along? Um, you know, do you think that a blockchain-based lending uh, platform uh, is today superior to, or is just an alternative at the moment?
0: if we if we sell a pool of loans to um, you know institution A, right, Institution A hires a number of third party um, vendors to help them assess what we've done. right? So a lot of these yep. a lot of these auditors, are, you know they're sort of around because nobody trusts anybody. <laughs> so what they do is they come in and they audit the loan, right? And they audit the loan to to look at A. Did figure lending do what they said they were gonna do, which means we have a credit policy and that credit policy has an underwriting box. Did this loan, was this loan underwritten within this credit box or did something happen and it was originated outside of the credit box, which means it was outside of policy, which means it's it's, um, a defect, I suppose. And so the auditors will look at all the numbers will look at all the documents and, you know, it's it cost a bunch of money. Then the, that institution A completes their transaction and then call it five years later. They say, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want this loan pool anymore for whatever reason. And they want to sell it to somebody else. You get the same auditors or a different one to do the same exact thing that they did when we sold that loan pool to that institution A. There's a lot of redundant work here because they're going back over all of the things the original auditor did, not necessarily the recurring payments or non-recurring payments, although they probably look at that, but they go all the way back to look at the original state of the asset, how it was um, originated, what the underwriting box looked like, all that same stuff. And then if you do a securitization, they do it again. So, so there's a lot of cost involved and time involved in that type of activity. So what we, and when I talk about automation of the lending application, that's what I'm talking about. Because if you automate as much as you can, you can then codify and create a validation contract, smart contract to do that validation. Once that loan is boarded to check, to do those checks of the originator before you even fund the loan, right? Which is kind of what we do. Yeah. Um, And so once you have that and you have a report that says, you know, this, all the validation checks have, have, have checked out. You might have a few defects and you take a look at them. A lot of um, loan buyers look at defects and some of them are like, yeah, we don't care about that. That's not such a big deal. Some are like, oh, I don't want that loan because it's, that's a big deal. And it's gonna, it's gonna affect the, the, um, the, the loan strat look of the, of the asset. So for us, that, that piece of it is really big, right? Every transaction has a pool of lawyers that create a pool of documents. For example, the securization market is really all about um, the entities that need to be involved to get to the to get to the place where um, they issue the bonds, right? There, there might be four or five entities that the that the pool of loans has to move through to get to the end state. Which I'm, I, I always say, why? Like we're using blockchain. The more
1: digitized it is, to, and also you can. Actually, trade it more easily; it becomes more liquid. Um, right. Everybody's uh, everybody's liquid. Right? So I mean, everyone you know can sort of buy and sell the portfolio or, right. or even the individual transaction. Uh, Provenance Blockchain Foundation is that the governance organi- I mean, organization. No. No. Uh, uh, and why is it a found- Why is it a non-profit foundation? And where <laughs> are the revenue feeds for you for your organization? Like, uh, where do you make your money from?
0: Provenance Blockchain Foundation is a foundation that's literally there just to promote development on the blockchain. So they, they might participate as a validator on the network, but the governance of the provenance blockchain is held by the stakeholders, which really means the validator network on the platform.
1: Right?
0: So any, so yeah, any proposal, yeah. p- proposal that comes forward the validators and the delegators have um, have a voting percentage that they get to vote,
1: and and so the, the foundation is that the technology company that you know updates the technology and all that.
0: So the foundation um, the foundation is responsible for the um, for the base provenance protocol um, blockchain coding. So they do they do sort of own. Well, they don't own it per se because it's open source, but they are responsible to make sure that the protocol level code is working properly. Um, And they will maintain it and they will upgrade it and they will create features on it. But they're sort of the base foundation for the blockchain for any of the tool providers on top, right? And then the um, originators and the actual end users of the system on top. So the developer community we would like to create is really the developer community to build on top of the blockchain and the foundation developers will just be there to, to, for support um, on the documentation as well as the code itself.
1: Figure technology, so what's your revenue feed? Like uh, where do you make your money? In a model like this, that's, that's the There's the funding side, that's the income side, you know? Um, so yep. um, and yep, the, maybe yep. the capital side, so yeah.
0: So So figure technologies has figure lending. And so from the figure lending side, we make money by selling our loans or securitizing yeah. our loans, right? So that's sort of a normal, yeah. you know, lender type type um, revenue stream. Uh, the broker dealer, for example, will charge a broker dealer fee um, for anybody that wants to use the ATS. Um, the our pay product, um, our pay product has actually a lending aspect to it, so we'll do point of sale lending um, for anyone who's you know who's trying to buy a washer dryer and they need a little bit of a, a loan. Um, we'll give that to them, so they make money off of that. Um, and there are fees on on the pay product, but they are significantly less than than the regular interchange fees.
1: And the stablecoin is that a source of capital, maybe uh, eventually? I mean, it, does it take on a price of its own? So we are
0: talking to several banks about creating and uh, burning, minting stablecoin. For them, it could be that they they want to charge a fee for the minting and burning. They could. Um, but they also um, they also um, really like the float, right? Because if we're transacting and using them as our as stablecoin bank, um, we might sit you know millions of dollars at, in in their institution where they would earn on the float um, sitting there.
1: Okay, uh, the the float is an income for the for the bank for the bank that is correct under correct. or other underwriting the stable coin is that what it, is that what they do all
0: they're doing is they're providing the mechanism for the, the transactions to prove that the fiat money has moved right so so if we are if we are selling an asset pool to someone we tell them hey why are your money here and that bank will then um, you know see the 50 million dollars they'll create the 50 million dollar stablecoin and that stablecoin then moves to figure we move ownership of that asset to that institution and then we can either hold the stablecoin or we can redeem it and get the cash back out so that's what the stablecoin bank does it's sort of regular banking activity um, if it's a closed loop and so they only take the stablecoin that they mint um, and but if it's a if it's multiple banks, I think the FDIC sees it a little bit differently. But if it's just one bank issuing their own stablecoin and redeeming their own stablecoin, it's truly just regular banking activity.
1: But eventually, you would like to see, it, you know, like uh, multiple players, not even banks, um, minting it.
0: We would like multiple players in the ecosystem because. Um, We want people to use the system. We want people to use the blockchain, which is really why we made it public, because it's much easier for people to use the system if it's
1: public. Permission to permissionless. Uh, (laughs) What was the motivation?
0: So we didn't actually mean to go permissioned in the first version of this. In some ways, it was a little bit of an experimentation on if this technology can actually do what we need it to do for complex you know, financial transactions, right? And at the time, we put all of the data onto the blockchain, which is, you know, we encrypted it, of course, and we secured it as as well as we absolutely possibly could. We, We secured it to the extent that if somebody actually sat and tried to sniff out keys, they might actually get a key, but they would only get one loan, right? So if you had a pool of assets, you know, with, I don't know, a thousand loans in it, they might sniff and get one key and they would, get ask, they would get access to data from one loan, but they would never be able to change the ownership of that loan. We really truly believe in the public open source um, aspect of blockchain. And so we really didn't want to stay with the permissioned world. Um, and, and we also believed in the distributed nature of it. We don't want a central authority uh, managing um, the tech. We truly believe that's the right model for what's what's happening. while also giving institutions the ability to hold data that they need to hold and secure because of the, you know, the private information aspect of it. So, um, so that's a lot of reasons why we moved to public. We ultimately wanted it to be public um, we just started with p- that permission based on the technology that we had chosen at the time, which I believe is really was really the only
1: choice at the time. And the reason I reached out to you is because as you move to permissionless, um, it's the it's the feedback of the traditional financial institutions. You know what they what do they think about um, you know permissionless world? Uh, this is like almost like a breakthrough because just about any blockchain project mm-hmm. I know of any bank in the world, it's all permission. Um, yes. You know, and it's yes. even on. It's almost an on us transaction, which is you know, it's it's uh, specific to the institution uh, in in that sense. So um, so I was also reaching out to you to to see um, how that transition is taking place, and you know, and and I guess organizations like yours. I mean, you know, players like yours uh, are breaking new frontier. You you're creating the trust, the uh, the ecosystem, and so on. And then you also have uh, other players. So. There's competition in in, in the space that you're in right now. The whole uh, token-based ecosystem, the the secret is to be interoperable, I I guess, uh, that you'll be able to um, buy and sell and and place the assets on, on, on your own system as you like it. But you will have a track of the transaction, um, you know, as the originator. Is that the correct way to see what you're doing?
0: That's kind of my view right now. We're not there at the point where, you know, someone wants to take it to a different chain. Um, But once we do, and there is a viable chain out there that it can sit on, then it'll be a really interesting um, use case.
1: I mean, being someone who's from outside this industry as it's evolving, um, you know, what's your take on the, on, on, you know, on the popularity of of your token, we've
0: created we've created a lot of buzz in general just because of figure in our lending business and people kind of know who we are, um, and so when they found out about the blockchain, you know, we had a lot of inquiries about you know being able to buy, and in the previous incarnation of this, it was difficult to buy because it was it was um, it was a reg offering. And so you really had to be an accredited investor, which is another reason why we moved from that blockchain to the to the new blockchain, because we wanted it to be a utility token and freely traded with with others. We really look at the, the amount of the value of assets that are sitting on our blockchain, which really distinguishes us from other blockchains, right? So it's not just pure speculation. It's Oh hey, they're actually using the blockchain for the technology that it can, you know, that that we want blockchain to be, which is a technology that's used for true, um, uh, true applications in the real world.
1: Judy, you've been really very patient and very kind in um, in explaining the whole mechani- mechanism. Uh, it sounds to me like these are uh, really early days. Uh, you know, it'll be gr- it'll be great to follow. You know how uh, the providence network evolves um, and and uh, how you grow and and also uh, this whole um, you know transition of traditional finance into a yeah. you know decentralized um, ecosystem. You know that the traditional players think of decentralized as an enemy of. Uh, of centralized you know uh, right. and and yet uh, it's players like you who sort of you know build a bridge um, taking assets that are very recognizable in, in traditional finance and then taking it into a marketplace um, you know in the network world thank you very much for, for spending time with me on this
0: well I'm going to give you one more thing on that on that transition so when we had the permission people asked like millions of questions about what we were doing. Now that it's public and it's open source, we can say, hey, just go look at the code, right? You can see exactly what's happening on the blockchain. It's a little bit of a, like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like, there there was a way that they kind of accepted it in the permission world, but they had a lot of questions about, you know, one aspect of it. And in the public world, they're like, oh, yeah, we can see everything and they can review it and they can have somebody, you know do a security audit if they want on it. And it, they're free to do it. We're not in the middle of that. So they don't have to come through us to do it, which is why we like it. Um, and I believe that they really accept it as well because of the fact that it is open source and they can look at it. They could take it if they wanted and, you know, and do what they wanted to. And, and, and that we created a way for them to secure the data that they're very, very um, worried about. Right, so we rec- we create a way for them to do that, and so that opens them up to okay, I get this, right? I understand what's happening, and I understand why my data is now secure.
1: The fact that your code is available on GitHub, and um, you know, and that anyone can take it on, and and. In a happy situation, they can even create forks, right? They can they can yep, create a, a, right. a different ecosystem from that's yours. Right. So that yep. whole universe, uh, the people in the traditional institutions just don't understand. Even I, yeah. you want it to come alive and, and take a life of its own. And so right. um, right. you know, and 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 you will not have any control over how it evolves. So that's that that aspect of it. Um, you know, we are all learning, so it's just uh, early days yet. Yeah.